Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today our guest is the Catholic Archbishop of San Francisco, Salvatore Cordelione. If you don't know him, the Archbishop is one of the most outspoken conservative Catholics in the country, especially when it comes to abortion and same-sex marriage. We talk to him as the Supreme Court is considering a Mississippi case that abortion rights advocates say could lead to the procedure becoming virtually illegal in as many as 26 states. And by the way, when the Archbishop breaks a little news in a few minutes about his vaccination status, keep in mind that his comments are contrary to what the Centers for Disease Control and virtually every healthcare professional has been saying for months. That is, get vaccinated. Vaccines are safe. And now, here's my conversation with Archbishop Cordelione. Archbishop uh, Salvador Cordelione, thank you for inviting me to your home here in San Francisco, and uh, welcome to It's All Political. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk to you about some news that's going to be happening in a couple days here after we record this podcast. On uh, December 1st, the Supreme Court will hear this Mississippi case that could effectively uh, gut the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision on abortion. Roe allows a woman to terminate her pregnancy before 24 weeks, after which a fetus could survive outside the womb. The Mississippi plaintiffs want to ban abortions after 15 weeks. And if they succeed, uh, abortion could become virtually illegal in 26 states, uh, according to advocates for abortion rights. Archbishop, of course, you and the church oppose abortion in all cases, correct? Yes. And uh, how important is this case to the abortion rights issue from your perspective in this country? I think the case is very important to um, the, the question of, of the standing of abortion in terms of the thinking of people in our country, in terms of the moral evaluations they make. Uh, although I've said, uh, even if those of us who support the dignity of life in the womb get a, a, deci- a positive decision that it doesn't end the pro-life work we have to do. And even if Roe were overturned, even if abortion were illegal in all 50 states, it doesn't end the pro-life work we have to do because anti-abortion is one part of being pro-life. And as I've said before, if all we did were to make it illegal, it could even make the situation worse because then there would be women resorting to back alley abortions. And it'd be, it's, it's a highly unregulated industry as it is right now, and it would be even worse. So pro-life means to support the woman in a crisis pregnancy. As I've said many times, the answer to her situation is not violence, is love. She, uh, she should not feel isolated. She should not feel like she has no alternative. Uh, she needs to be given support, real support, so she can have real choice. Uh, I, I know people who run these uh, crisis pregnancy clinics that uh, give her that support. They have 3D sonogram machines 
Some women walk in there thinking they're going to have an abortion. They see the 3D sonogram. Almost all of them change their mind, but it's because they are given the support they need, free medical care. Uh, then after birth as well, you know, if she wants to put the child up for adoption and she wants to raise the child herself, if she needs, you know, diapers, formula, uh, blankets, uh, job training, they help her get to get a job. Uh, they'll reconnect her with her faith community. If she has a faith community, they have a counselor on staff, a spiritual guide on staff. So it's this wraparound care that uh, is what women need. What they, uh, this week in the Chronicle, we wrote about uh, 30 organizations in California, uh, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, ACLU, other organizations, uh, have formed what they call the Future of Abortion Council in California. Uh, it would, it would uh, from they anticipate tens of thousands of women coming to California mm -hmm. uh, because of uh, the lack of abortion services in other states. Um, should should this should these changes happen that we alluded to, you have always been very politically active in in California and nationally. What should those who want to eliminate uh, abortion do in response uh, to something like this? Are there are there any plans in place for the future of uh, uh, abortion? You know, sort of the opposite uh, um, group like that. And then, what role will you take? I'll continue to speak out on this issue and speak out about what it means to be pro-life, as I was saying earlier, and will continue to support those who are giving women real choices. I think it's those who are promoting this for women to come here to have abortions that I would put the burden on their shoulders to give the woman real choice. I mean, all too often, those of us who give pastoral care, who hear women say that, I didn't want to go through with it, but I felt like I had no choice. Mm. We hear women... I've heard women say that they were lied to, you know, they go into the clinic and then they change their mind. They're pressured into it. They're told it's just a lump of cells. Uh, so uh, the problem is, I've said this also repeat, the problem is not that women have choice, that too many women have no choice. If we give them real choice, the majority of time they're going to choose to give life. But don't you think the women have already made that choice before that point in their own minds to either carry on with the pregnancy or to, or to not, or to terminate the pregnancy. This is speculation on my part, but sure. I think a lot of them don't because of stories that I've heard mm -hmm. um, of women who feel, again, alone, abandoned, you know, shut in. She, she, she can't like share what's going on. She's afraid of people finding out. Yeah. Uh, so they're feeling isolated and scared. Mm -hmm. and I think all too often this so-called decision is coming out of place of isolation and fear. And so it's not really a decision. If she's able, really given what she needs to make a decision, uh, the country would be in a much better place right now. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about abortion rights in the Holy Eucharist. Uh, you have been uh, critical of Catholics and government, uh, political, uh, political office, I should say, uh, who claim, as Speaker Pelosi recently did, that she is a devout, quote, devout Catholic. You believe it is impossible to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, a, quote, devout Catholic and support abortion rights. Uh, just to, for our audience to, to know or listeners to know, it was Pelosi, uh, Speaker Pelosi said, uh, quote, as a devout Catholic and a mother of five and six years, I feel that God bless my husband and me with our beautiful family, five children and six years almost to the day. But that may not be what we should. Uh, and, and it's not up to me to dictate that what other people should do. And it's the, an issue of fairness and justice for poorer women in our country. 
she's making a division between her uh, personal role as a mother and as a Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, as a woman, uh, and her uh, her uh, government role, her someone who is an elected officer of the of uh, voters. What where do you come down on this? This is this is you don't you think you should be? I'll let you speak for yourself. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start out with a a very clear fact: abortion is killing. There's no doubt that abortion kills a living being inside the mother's womb. And I've noticed when people who are strongly support and advance abortion rights, when they're asked about what the question of what's within the womb of a pregnant woman, they won't answer the question. I've seen this time and again. They won't answer the question, a simple, straightforward question. So, so there's no doubt about the fact that abortion is killing. So those who advocate for abortion rights uh, are taking the moral position that it is sometimes morally acceptable to kill an innocent human being. That is very scary because it's that kind of thinking that justifies all kinds of atrocities. So it's, it's wrong on its principle because it's killing. Now, it's, it's, that principle is simple. The issue is more complex because of women in these crisis pregnancy situations. You got sometimes, where's the father? Right. You know? And rape Why and isn't incest he taking and, responsibility? Yeah. Yes. Why isn't it our society take steps and put mechanisms in place to call him to responsibility? But what about a father who wants the child to be born and is willing to take responsibility, but he has no say in the matter? You know, he, it's just so much his child as it is the woman who's carrying the child, but he's told to butt out and mind his own business. So there's something very sick going on here. Do you think Speaker Pelosi should be able to receive communion? Uh, the principles of our faith are clear about... Um, they're being properly disposed to receiving Holy Communion, that someone who's involved in a serious sin is not to receive until they receive the grace of forgiveness and the sacrament of, of confession. The question is, to what degree are they culpable if they're actively promoting it? To intentionally will to advance a grave evil like that puts someone in a situation where they should not be receiving communion. So, so no, and same for President Biden, you believe? Correct, a- any Catholic, any, any Catholic. Catholic who formally, we call it formal cooperation, where they intentionally want the harm to be done. Okay, and, and by advocating for certain laws and policies, they're yes, doing yes. that. Okay. I mean, it's clearly when they're involved in the action itself, but even when they're sure. involved with you know, policies, funding, uh, that to make it easily available, they're formally cooperating. Right. Now, uh, President Biden, he was recently in Rome, and he met with Pope Francis, and he said Pope Francis told him in a meeting, private meeting in Rome, to continue receiving communion. It's okay for him. Now, the Vatican has not confirmed this. this uh, but while Biden was in Rome, he uh, did go to Mass uh, and, and receive communion at a church in Rome. Some say that's evidence that uh, Pope Francis did not forbid priests in the Diocese of Rome, where he you know, has sort of jurisdiction, uh, from giving communion to Biden. Is that a sign that Biden, or I'm sorry, is that a sign that uh, the Pope didn't have a problem with Biden getting uh, communion? Uh, what's your interpretation of what the, the Pope's well, actions Well, again, were we don't know what the Pope really said and what he didn't say. Mm-hmm. But I would say if 
the president of the United States is coming up to me for communion and I'm a parish priest in Rome. It's kind of an awkward moment to say, no, you cannot receive communion. Uh, it's different for me because I'm publicly outspoken on this, but right. a, a priest is kind of put on the spot. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know what he said. I don't know what he didn't say. I, I do know that it often happens in my own case, and I'm sure other people in leadership that sometimes they say one thing and people hear something else. Sometimes they hear something quite different from what I actually said. I know that happens, so it could be that kind of a situation. You're, you're dubious about what Biden said. Yes, I'm dubious. I'm dubious that the Pope said exactly that. Okay, yes. and you, you don't think that the priests, the, the parish priests there were following arguably their boss, the Pope, Victor. Uh, uh, I, I would be, I'm, I'm sure the Pope did not tell the priests in Rome to give Biden communion if he went up for communion. Have you he ever, probably have not, has not told them not to, but I'm sure he didn't tell them to give him communion. Have you ever refused to give to communion, uh, give communion to someone like a political leader who's who's come to, to you know to mass and and uh, because of what you know their position on abortion I'm, rights no, or anything I mean, else? In terms of a political leader, I'm not aware of ever having been in that situation. Uh, the only times I haven't given communion was when someone came up and it was clear they didn't know what they were doing. So sometimes I ask them, are you Catholic? And no, so I'll give them a blessing instead. Right. That's Those the, are the fold, times. Hold your hands. Yeah. And, yes. yes. We'll go deep into Catholicism uh, later. Um, you and um, Biden and Pelosi uh, probably agree on a lot of other issues. Immigration rights. I yes. think you're, you're on the same page there. Yes. Helping the, uh, the poor. You're good for, for more uh, government help for the poor. Yes. Why single them out for their stand on abortion rights? Uh, I think you, you raise a, an important point that there are a lot of issues. This isn't the only one. And there are issues that we can connect well on. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's something fundamental about a person's right to life. Mm. And again, I mentioned earlier about the principle that if some people can be excluded, um, if some category of human beings could be excluded, then we're, we're building a moral system on, on a faulty principle. So if not even children within the womb, babies within the womb can have a right to life, how, how can any other rights, if there's no right to life, what's the basis for any other rights? It's, so it's at a very kind of a fundamental level. And it's the, the degree of the evil that's being perpetrated with, we're talking since the Roe decision, the last almost 50 years, mm -hmm. over 60 million uh, babies basically murdered in their mother's wombs. Mm -hmm. what, what about Catholic office holders who oppose the death penalty? Uh, that's a, a, a life and death issue as well. Should, should they receive communion? Oh, you mean favor the death penalty? F favor the, did yeah, I say, yeah, yes, I'm yeah. sorry, favor the death penalty. Um, the death penalty is a little different. I mean, the we church leaders are opposed to it, yes, definitely. Uh, but it's not what we call, at least theoretically, not what we call an intrinsic evil. That that is, it's always wrong because if it's the only way a society has to protect itself from a violent criminal, it's like a legitimate self-defense mm. argument. Uh, but we believe we do have better means of protecting society from violent criminals. So, uh, so. I would say it kind of depends on how they favor it. If like, like they want to execute a lot of criminals, then that would be a problem. But if their position is 
uh, in rare circumstances, it's, I have a problem with it, but I don't think it rises to the degree of um, cooperating with the serious evil if it's, they truly believe it's what's necessary to protect society. Is it because, and I, this, I was actually recently did a story on abortion rights. I went to Oklahoma and talked to people were protesting outside the clinic. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. <laughs> the Archbishop is nodding and smiling. Um, some of the, it was described to me, and I asked this question there, that uh, a, a, innocent, a child in the womb is innocent. They have not had any sin committed. Uh, whereas someone who is a convicted uh, murderer or felon of some point has, uh, has violated the laws of society. Is that the difference here? Yeah, that's the difference. But I said, I mentioned a minute ago about theoretically, because uh, one of the biggest problems with the death penalty is if it's a wrongful conviction, there's no way to correct it. True. Uh, so, uh, but that is the, the difference, yes. We'll have more of my conversation with Archbishop Cordelione after this short break. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And now, here's more of my conversation with San Francisco Catholic Archbishop Salvador Cordelione. Politically, of course, this is the It's All Political podcast. Uh, you're mounting a bit of a political campaign. I wrote about a couple of weeks ago against Speaker Pelosi. It's a modest one in terms of dollars these days in political campaigns. Uh, you call it the, the Rose and Rosary campaign, correct? And you're asking people to pray for Pelosi for, uh, on behalf of her stance on abortion. And you're sending roses to her office in San Francisco. Thousands of roses at this point, correct? 14, 15,000. 14, so 15,000. And this is funded by contributions to the, you know, uh, for the campaign. Uh, now, Pelosi, we know she has stared down uh, political campaigns. Uh, millions of dollars are spent against her by Republican opponents. Why do you think yours will succeed where others haven't? Well, let me be clear. It's not a political campaign. Okay. It's a campaign of prayer and fasting. Okay. But there's and, some politics and the, to it, is it not? Well, well, like any big issue of the day, um, abortion has many aspects to it. There's definitely a political aspect, and the political aspect enters into everything. There's a, the psychological aspect of those involved with it, what happens to them psychologically. There's a societal aspect. Uh, most importantly, there's a moral aspect. So there are different aspects. Mm -hmm. But it's not politics that's motivating me. I'm mm -hmm. a pastor of souls, mm -hmm. and I want to help people on the path to salvation, to be at peace in their conscience before the, when they appear before God. So it's a campaign of prayer and fast. People, we ask people to make a contribution mm -hmm. uh, to help fund the, sure. the purchase of the roses and shipping of the roses and so forth. So it's, it's to help, help fund the effort. But I'm asking them to engage on the spiritual level. This is ultimately a spiritual battle that we're in. And uh, if, we don't, if we don't pray, and fasting really needs to accompany prayer. If we don't do that, we will get political. We'll start looking at it too politically. And you know, we have to look at it uh, spiritually and do what's really in people's best interests. And the prayer helps us keep focused on that. When you say we'll look at it politically, what do you see that as entailing? 
that all people would be concerned about is the law, the legality of abortion or not. Um, and then uh, how politics has become so you know divisive now, right. a lot of hostility. They'd be caught up into that mentality. I want to talk to you about something that else recently happened here in San Francisco. Um, students at Archbishop Reardon High School, Catholic high school, a longtime uh, Catholic high school here in San Francisco, walked out of an assembly uh, recently where the, where the speaker uh, was speaking against abortion rights. Uh, you wrote a very detailed letter to the students there, and I wanted to quote a passage or two and get your, get your take on this. You said, quote, I wish that is what those of you who had walked out of the speech by a pro-life activist recently would have done. This action put on full display one of the blind spots of youth due to young people's lack of extended life experience, gullibility. And then you explain what that was about. And you wrote, uh, you continue, you said, to the young men, I say, there used to be a time when if a man did something that caused inconvenience in his life, he would be a real man and take responsibility for it. It was also much more common for a man to respect a woman as his equal and not use her for his own selfish pleasure, end quote. When was that time? You and I are maybe a couple of years, probably a couple of years older than I am, but we, I think we grew up in a similar Italian-American uh, yes. families, very Catholic. Um, when was that time? When you, I mean, we've spoken before, you talk about uh, your family upbringing. When was that time where, that you're alluding to here? I'd say up until, the, I remember that kind of be the cultural mentality when I was a child. Um, so then, you know, it all changed in the 60s. Now I said it was more common, you know, and it was, it was a more of a societal expectation of the man taking responsibility. Uh, so uh, it doesn't mean it happened every time. Sure. But it was more, it was the default setting for societal expectations. 50s and up at, early. Yeah, up until, uh, I'd say up until the 60s. Up until the 60s. Okay. And then you know what? Uh, those of us you, you, who are getting closer to the final stages of life also have our own gifts uh, to offer and blind spots. We can become cynical and apathetic after experiences of betrayal, deception, and failure. Uh, you, you turned 65 this year. Uh, what, are, what are some of your blind spots? Uh, well, I think that I'm tempted to cynicism myself uh, really? because of... Uh, I feel I'm always, you know, swimming upstream, mm -hmm. right? And when I see lack of progress, it's kind of, it can be demoralizing at times. So mm -hmm. I'd say it's a temptation to, um, to, to give up, temptation to uh, laxity, to mediocrity, mm. um, rather than keeping my eyes on the finish line, which is our life with God, right? So that's what keeps me motivated mm. is... It's so our life with God, and I have to keep the finish line in mind. But if I don't do that, I would be more more easily succumb to these temptations. You, you get frustrated with the with the pace of progress, uh, with the things that you're yes. worried about. I remember when we first chatted, uh, uh, maybe ten years ago, shortly after you got here, I asked you, um, uh, you know, if if uh, here you are, you're one of the more vocal the Catholic bishops in the country. Um, particularly when it comes to sort of hot-button issues like abortion rights and, and decade-ago same-sex marriage. Uh, and you, you're here in a di presiding over a, di a diocese that is the uh, epicenter of uh, progressive uh, political thought on both those issues and many more. And I asked you um, back then if uh, the Vatican sort of sent you here as a message pitch to San Francisco. And you was like, well, I don't know, maybe. I, I don't, I've never really thought about that. Um, 
Next year, you're going to be your 10th year here in San Francisco before you're in Oakland for a couple of years. I'm going to ask you something different this time. How has San Francisco changed you over this past 10 years? Uh, I used this phrase once in an interview I had about, uh, I've always understood kind of the importance of encounter, getting to know people as other people. And now all the more so, Pope Francis keeps emphasizing that. And I said, when we do that, it has a tenderizing effect. So um, I think it, it has made me more sensitive to people who are in living their life in situations I might not agree with. But it is, I always try to look for goodwill. And I think it's sensitized me more to that and given me more of a, of uh, a motivation and ability to connect with people where we can connect uh, because that's in, and to not enter in a relationship with the idea of trying to change the person's mind. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Well, instead of that, trying instead to of I'm mind, getting to get, get to know you so I can change your mind is I'm getting to know you because you're worth getting to know. And that helps, that helps reestablish civility in society. So that's that's an interesting change. You, and in your letter, I believe this is in your letter from um, to the students. You said you quoted uh, a writer, Robin Sharma, "quote You can fit in, or you can change the world. You don't get to do both. If you choose the latter, the future will be bright." Where are you at on that spectrum? Oh well, I think I'm trying to change the world. <laughs> <laughs> I and I feel I often don't fit in, but again, I look for goodwill and try to connect where I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to see one other thing. This is sort of a newsy thing that, that um, you know, we're going to have another, uh, well, we may have another uh, variant here, the Omicron variant. And I know you were at the forefront of some concerns about uh, closures, the closures of parishes, of houses of worship here. Um, or do you have any concerns about when this, with this um, variant uh, coming on? We don't know, of course, at this point with the uh, Severity of it will be, or or what it will mean. What as you as we've lived through these last uh, almost two years now. What are your any concerns about the reaction to this and how it intersects with the faith community? Uh, my concern. Uh, this might not be exactly what you're asking about, but concerns more on a global level. Mm. Um, what I learned about what the World Health Organization was asking. Then I just heard something on. Uh, I think it was on NPR this morning this morning or yesterday, that uh, countries, there are poor countries that don't have access to the vaccines. Yes. And uh, the World Health Organization was asking the, the richer countries to hold off on the third shot until the poor countries could get the first or first two shots. So, and what I heard on the, the news report I just heard today was that's what's necessary to really slow down the spread of the virus mm -hmm. is getting people across the world vaccinated the first time. So my, my, my concern is that, uh, is the distribution of the vaccine mm. to be more, more equitable. So the poor countries can have access to it. And especially that those who really need to be vaccinated can receive it. Yeah. So you don't have, do you have any problem with vaccine mandates? Uh, I, a vaccine mandate that doesn't allow an option for a negative COVID test within whatever, 48 hours. Uh, yeah, I do have a problem with that. Okay, you want, and you were not vaccinated, correct? Uh, not yet, no. And no, uh, tell us why. You told me briefly before we started chatting, but why why aren't you vaccinated? There are a number of reasons, uh, and with, from 
what I've been able to learn about the vaccines, about the dangers of COVID, uh, and talking with my own primary health care physician. Uh, I do have a good immune system. Uh, and he told me that it's probably not necessary for me to be vaccinated. Really? He didn't urge me doctor, to, he yeah. didn't dissuade me from being vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, but he said he was fine if I decided not to be, mm -hmm. uh, because of my own particular health situation. Uh, the, the vaccines, first of all, they're not really vaccines as we think of vaccines. We think of a vaccine as a, a shot that gives you immunity to a disease for life or at least for a very long time, right? And these actually don't give any immunity at all. They give protection, so they reduce the risk of infection. If infected, you still can get infected though, but if you get infected, it reduces the risks of severe symptoms. It reduces the risk of spreading the virus, but you still can spread the virus. And the effectiveness wears off after four or five, six months. Yeah. And that's the need for the boosters. booster yeah. shot probably about every six months. Are you concerned that you'd be spreading it to, I mean, you're, you're, you're out and about uh, all over the place. Are you concerned about spreading it? Or what I've been in situations where um, if I was going to get infected, I probably would have. One being in close uh, contact in a confined space with someone who I found out later was COVID positive. I tested myself and I was negative. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, other situations in um, large gatherings, not in California, other parts of the country, large gatherings inside, people weren't uh, wearing masks. Uh, and uh, so, Going back to your question again. About, Are you concerned about, 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 about um, you know, spreading it and, uh, and, and about getting me it? Spreading it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was what I was going to say. I mean, certainly if I started feeling symptoms, I would, uh, I'd test myself, I'd stay home, right. you know, so certainly, so I'm, I'm not afraid of that. People who are asymptomatic don't spread it. They're very rarely with someone asymptomatic spread the virus. So if I was starting to feel symptoms, I'd certainly I'd stay home. Okay. Archbishop, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon as this, uh, certainly as this uh, abortion uh, case goes, makes its way through the courts and is possibly implemented. And love to have you back on to see uh, what happens, where we are at in, you know, six, seven months. Thank you. We have to come back. We'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank the Archbishop for joining us today. And again, when it comes to vaccines, the Centers for Disease Control and virtually every healthcare professional has been saying the same thing for months. Get vaccinated. Vaccines are safe. I'd like to thank the King Webby Award winning producer, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. As always, we'd like to throw out some love for our theme song that you're listening to. That song is called Cattle Call and it was written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Pro Song. And remember, no matter what you think about abortion rights, it's all political. Thank you.